again, we are thankful to have Neil with us this morning. I ask that you just take an opportunity to meet him after the service, uh, ask questions. Um, he is a good friend to have and a good resource for us as believers. The other reason I wanted him to be here today is because this is the Sunday in January that uh, I will take every year and remind us of the sanctity of life. And um, as I began to, to study the subject, one of the things that I learned was that this um, uh, Roe v. Wade passed, I believe, January 23rd of 1973. And that struck home to me because in January of 1973, um, right after that point, my mom would have realized that she was pregnant with me. Not that mom was in a place where she would have been forced or tempted to make a decision like that, but it became legal for her to do so. And that made life very sobering. It was a very real thing to think that I could have been one of those early fallouts of such a difficult decision. I want to keep life in front of us too because, beloved, it's going to be a decision that's now made in every state of the nation. They have to face it. And not only that, but we as God's people if anybody on this earth ought to know and understand the preciousness of life, it's us. Every life in the womb, every precious baby that's born, every person, even our legislators that we might tend to disagree with and may not like, they are a life created in the image of God. And we ought to hold life in dignity. And so that's the other reason why I wanted Neil to come this morning to speak to us and to challenge us. And uh, as a reminder uh, of this day to remember that life is sacred. So I'm going to ask him to come, open your hearts, and uh, let's hear what God has to say from his word. Thanks again, Pastor Chris. And it is a pleasure to share with you God's word on such a critical topic. And I'm so pleased that there are churches like Community Baptist all over our state that recognize that this is still a very important topic for us. You know, the, the battle is not over. In fact, on the contrary, it continues. Let me begin today by just sharing with you some of the life that God's given me. I really do better when they are with me, but just, you know, they are real. <laughs> this is my wife. She actually just stepped off the plane with me a few hours ago, uh, but it's back in home in Hollis. We live just west of Nashua in Hollis, and God's given us four beautiful children. My son is 14, and then I have a 12-year-old daughter, <clears throat> a four-year-old daughter, and our one-year-old who's actually with us on our little trip out west. Uh, she did great, actually, on, on coming and going on, you know, five-hour airplane ride, so good for her. So that's our... That's my joy right there, and uh, they keep me well anchored. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> just to give you a little update on where we are with life in New Hampshire as context for us digging into God's word today. 
New Hampshire is really unusual in that we went in a direction that was not expected by those who are enemies of life. And of course, when I use those terms, we should always keep in the back of our mind Ephesians 6, which says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against every principality and power. You know, the, that's what we're wrestling against. And, and it's, only, it's only diabolical that such a, an idea, such a stronghold could take root in our culture that says, oh my gosh, the best thing we can do in this situation is to terminate the life of a child. So please keep that in mind when I mention, say, enemies of life. But what happened in New Hampshire, just really largely to Cornerstone's great work, our, my colleagues on our policy team, we passed the Fetal Life Protection Act in June of 21. So before that, abortion was legal in all three trimesters to the moment of birth. But beginning in January of 22, when the law took effect, now we have a very moderate late term or 24-week abortion ban. But as you can imagine, that's not the way that uh, the narrative was supposed to go for those who are enemies of life, especially in a state like New Hampshire. The fact that we kind of went in the other direction made some people really upset. And by contrast, you know, it's really interesting, Massachusetts actually had a late-term abortion ban through December of 21. They repealed their late-term abortion ban so that now Massachusetts has abortion until birth. And they did that in anticipation of the decision Pastor Chris just mentioned. When Roe v. Wade was overturned in 22, it went back to the states, and several states were already looking, were already working in one direction or the other, including us. We were working so that before that decision was overturned, we would at least have a moderate, late-term, third trimester, 24-week abortion ban that we call the Fetal Life Protection Act. Well, as you can imagine, that doesn't sit well with people. <laughs> it just doesn't. And so uh, the attacks on that Fetal Life Protection Act have come every, they come every legislative session. And there's a lot of momentum being pick up, picked up now. If you watch this kind of news, you'll note that in Ohio, they have referendum, which means they bring a vote to all the people, and it can start with the people. And just in November, at the election in November, Ohio actually enshrined in their constitution a right to an abortion up until the moment of birth. So really tough, very sad. Now, New Hampshire, because of the fact that our representation is so... Um, so available to us, as I just indicated, we actually don't have referendum. In other words, the citizens, we can't really get together and petition the way that a lot of other states do. The sense is, you know, because here in Rochester, you have, you know, several reps that you can talk to, you can get things done that way. But what they're doing, the closest thing they can do to that, and there's actually two constitutional amendments being proposed, one from the House side, one from the Senate side, to also enshrine abortion as a fundamental right in our state. These, these constitutional amendments were just heard uh, in just in the last several weeks. And so now they are being uh, voted on. One will be voted on in the House and the other one will be voted in the Senate shortly. And the reason that they're doing this strategically is because the way that uh, we amend our Constitution in New Hampshire is both chambers have to pass a two-thirds, excuse me, a three-fifths vote. If three-fifths of both chambers approve of this constitutional amendment, then it will go to us, the people, on our November ballot. So when we're voting for president this year, we may 
be voting for, do we want to enshrine abortion as a constitutional right in the first section of the New Hampshire Constitution, which is our Bill of Rights, which is very robust. It's more robust than our federal rights, actually. So that's just what is happening. And let me begin or dig further into us getting into God's word by saying, you know, when I was in college, so we're very close in age, Pastor Chris, but it corresponded largely with the Clinton administration. Do you remember the phrase that actually both sides of the aisle seemed to have some agreement on, and that was that abortion should be, you know the three words, safe, legal, and rare. But now we fast forward, you know, some 25 years after that, and um, when I was in college, I just really, that just wasn't an issue that I cared about. I was really not aware of life. I was in a very faithful Baptist church uh, in my college years in, in Texas. I actually went to Baylor, a Baptist college. Um, and, uh, but just life was never on my radar. You know, I was, I was interested in other things. But here we are 25 years later, and I think, oh my word, you know, with four of my own children, it's, it's just different. And I think, wow, our culture has changed drastically. And of course, we come to God's word saying, God, what do you speak to this issue? And what am I to do, given the fact that our times are so topsy-turvy, given the fact that you know, we are so marginalized culturally, what are we to do? And so to help us answer those questions today, I want us to look to Exodus chapter 1. We're in Exodus chapter 1. And um, let's see. I, this is from New King James. I think I got a special pass from Pastor Chris to, to do this out of New King James today. So, Bear with me. Can everyone just say the word reality for me? Reality. Okay, we are in a new reality, as I just referenced. Not the first time God's people have found themselves in a new reality. Let's just read the first few verses of this chapter. We're going to look at three sections. We'll do all of Exodus 1 today. And remember, we're saying, God, how are we to act? How are we to behave? What are you saying in a time where things are very topsy-turvy and this life issue? What are we to do? Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob. There was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. But then Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful. They increased abundantly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. And then we get to verse 8 which may be, actually, I need your help. Is it a new paragraph in the King James? Not sure. No? It is? Okay, so it is a new idea here, but I'm grouping it together for our purposes today. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So think about it. Up till that time, the people of God, Joseph's family, had enjoyed great favor because of him because of the great anointing, the grace that God had given Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and then to administrate really the solution, the God solution that God had for all the people of the Mediterranean world. Again, I, I, I don't want to leave this idea too quickly, just a little quick sidebar, because this really is the theological framework for the Church Ambassador Network. I think 
God gives solutions to the biggest pain points of New Hampshire through the people of God like you. That's why I try to get Pastor Chris connected with state senators, state reps, that sort of thing. Because look at this. Even this, a huge part of the book of Genesis, right preceding this, is dedicated to the Joseph story, where God brings his solution through his man, but he has to connect into Pharaoh, to the state, to the government, to get it distributed. Interesting, isn't it? So because of the great gifting, because Joseph was a God's man, because Joseph helped solve not only Egypt's, but the whole Mediterranean basin's problem of famine, they had great favor in the land. God's people had great favor. But then, eventually, a new Pharaoh came, a Pharaoh that had not known Joseph and had not known God's people. Things changed. There was a new reality. And I would suggest to you and I, <laughs> to us today, that things have drastically changed. Even just 30 years ago, Clinton administration, the mantra was abortion safe, legal, rare. But now we've got this idea that it is a fundamental right for a woman to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth. How crazy is that? Now, this is not something that was not foreseen by religious leaders. Religious leaders, as early as the 1920s in our country, were saying things that actually, and I'm, I'm not going to take up this conversation here, but it actually started with contraception and the idea that, hey, contraception is going to lead to conjugal infidelity, the general lowering of morality, because the issue is we are separating the relational part from the reproductive part. And again, that's not the major topic I want to hit on, but the point was even before uh, abortion became something that was available, religious leaders were saying, hey, if we do this, it's going to be tough. We're going to have some negatives in our culture. And sure enough, we look now, some 100 years later from those first voices, what's happened to the divorce rate? What's happened to STDs? rates, what's happened to the number of single parent households, and of course, what has happened to the number of aborted lives. I think since the Roe v. Wade, we're in the 60 plus million, right? Numbers you just cannot imagine, 60 plus million lives terminated because we couldn't figure out a better solution as a culture for the young woman who was scared, afraid, thought that she was not going to be able to handle this. And now, what's looming on the horizon right now, our next the frontier here is chemical abortion. The fact that now we can get online, order a couple pills, and a woman can attempt to abort her child in her own home. Of course, the medical complications are so uh, much that it's just, just speaking purely medically, it's just unwise. Reality, we are in a new reality. Okay, this, it's coming at us fast and furious. It's not like 30 years ago during the Clinton administration. It is a different world. Is God surprised by this? Not at all. Not at all. Just as he was not surprised when God's people found themselves with a new Pharaoh who did not know them. God had a plan. He always has a plan. We can take confident people, people of God, saints. We can take great confidence in the fact that God has got a plan. New reality, he has a plan. Now, God does have, as we know, some rivals. Everyone say rivals. 
rivals. He's got some rivals. I've mentioned it already this morning, Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of this age. There's some rivals out there. Let's see what happened to God's people. This is Exodus 1, 9 to 14, continuing the narrative. He, the Pharaoh, said to his people, the Egyptians, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Fear. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pitom and Ramses. Verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. God's hand was with his people. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So God's rivals are on the scene. God's purposes are being expressly opposed by his rivals. You hear in the Egyptian leadership, in the Pharaoh, fear. Fear of being overtaken. Fear of economic meltdown. So what do they do? They do what all of us without Jesus do. We resort to control, right? When I'm afraid, when you're afraid, and we're not walking with Jesus, we try to control things. Pharaoh's no different here. And so he becomes ruthless. He has a lot of rigor. He, he deals shrewdly with God's people. He makes it bitter for them and makes them do hard labor. And I would suggest again today in terms of application to this life conversation that there is fear in the heart of those who oppose life. You hear it because you, you, you can see it in their faces and their voices. They are afraid of being overtaken. They're afraid of their own economic meltdown. And so what they're trying to control is they're trying to control the narrative. One of the saddest websites I have ever seen in my entire life is one called shoutyourabortion.com. In Psalm 2, it talks about the fact that the kings of the earth throw off their fetters, right? Ugh, kind of like, God, we can do things our way. And shoutyourabortion.com. Or the... Uh, the billboard that I've seen where it says, literally, the billboard says, God's plan includes abortion. And isn't this sick? It's just totally turning things on its edge. It's diabolic. And so they want to control the narrative and say, you know, let me be proud of my abortion. Let me be so, let me, you know, what is a shameful thing? What's, you know, used to be done in secret and... And uh, there still is some manner of guilt and fear and um, shame. You know, now it's what we're doing in our whole culture is we're taking that which is shameful and celebrating it. And if you know the rest of Psalm 2, what is God's posture in heaven? If you recall, he's, he laughs. And it's not a laugh of, you know, God is, he cares about his people, don't get me wrong, but he laughs at when we think we're really clever. We think we can outsmart him. We think that we can sin and outrun his, his commands. Or 
even his grace, he laughs. And then Psalm 2 concludes by saying, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Meaning, you know, submit now, like Philippians 2 talks about. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But do it on this side of eternity, is what Psalm 2 seems to preview, what Philippians 2 talks about. And um, it's just crazy to me that God's rivals, who think that this is the best solution, uh, are wanting to control the narrative. And in the same way, I would suggest that Pharaoh had them serve with rigor. Uh, other translations say things like it's ruthless. They're making them fight ruthlessly. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the, 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 um, the pro-abortion lobby, if you will, has been ruthless since the day that that Fetal Life Protection Act passed. It passed in June of 21, as I mentioned earlier came in force on January 1st, 22. So we're just two years into it now. And when that passed, uh, the pro-abortion lobby, if you will, they immediately, for the balance of 21, they poured in about $6 million, $6 million into our state in ad campaigns. And they went after our governor. Our governor is publicly pro-choice. We're praying about that. Our governor does have a wonderful man of God, pastor, he's a bivocational pastor that speaks into the governor's life. The governor is, I can say with confidence, is really in a discipleship relationship with a pastor from the Manchester area. Not like all of us, we're in progress, aren't we? We're in process. So the governor is in process. Still, he is publicly pro-choice, which makes me very sad and drives me to my knees. So, okay, let's pray for the governor. Let's pray for this relationship that he has with a wonderful man of God. But they poured $6 million into the ad campaign to say that the governor signed this abortion ban. And it's amazing how effective $6 million is in the Granite State. Because then if you talk to any of the more conservative folks who ran for state rep or for state senate in this last cycle in 2022, when it came to this hot button abortion issue, to a man, to a woman, to every person who ran for office, they found themselves having to educate their constituents, again, both sides of the aisle, whether their would-be constituents were more conservative or more progressive, the conversation over and over again. I'm talking about the ones who both won and the ones who both lost, but those who ran for office in 22, this is what they said. They said, we had this conversation <laughs> with every citizen, every door that we knocked on, and it was, you know, when abortion comes up, they would ask, do you know? So a candidate asks the citizen, do you know what the abortion law is in New Hampshire? The answer was no. Or it would be, we have an abortion ban. The truth is, somewhat sadly, if someone wants to have an abortion in New Hampshire, they can for the first 24 weeks of gestation. It's only in the last trimester that it's illegal in New Hampshire. But no one knew that. Why is that? Because $6 million about, bought the sound bites that said abortion ban, abortion ban. We have an abortion ban. So everyone's afraid. Pharaoh dealt with rigor with the people of God. I'm telling you, the enemy is still doing the same thing today. He's dealing with us with rigor. He's, dece he's deceiving. He is, um, he is a liar. You know, he's a liar from the beginning. That's what he does. And so for us, the people of God, it becomes pretty bitter, even as it was bitter for them 
with the hard bondage they had. It's bitter for us because we have to keep fighting. It's exhausting, I'll just say that. And it's exhausting. And what makes it more crazy, it's exhausting because you know the word common sense? <laughs> that used to have a shared meaning, and now we don't even have a shared meaning of the word common sense anymore. Because as I have indicated in multiple ways, it just seems to me that the most technologically advanced country in the nation, even just dropping the God part of this conversation out, can we not come up with a better solution where both mom and baby can win? That's common sense to me, but it's also the kingdom that we're a part of. God is always about the win-win. He can help the scared mom, and that baby can come to full term. I am, again, so happy to share that I met Pastor Chris at an event where we were touring options. The Pregnancy Resource Center, thank you, right here in Rochester, which is so well, so well led. And I think, uh, I think you all contribute to options um, as a church. Yeah, which is just the right thing to do because those pregnancy resource centers like options in Rochester, they are heroes. They, they are beautiful. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So God's rivals are out there. They're making things rigorous, ruthless uh, for us. They're making it very bitter for us. But does God have a plan? Oh, you bet he does. You bet he has a plan. And guess what? In God's mercy, in his kindness, he allows us to be a part of that plan. Everyone say the word risk. Risk. We're in a new reality here. It's crazy. It's the reality of chemical abortion. It's the reality of shoutyourabortion.com. That's the world we're living in right here, especially here on the seacoast. Sorry, do we, do we count yourself as seacoast here? Or more lakes? No, I don't know. We're kind of in between. I'm telling you, where I live, Hollis, I mean, Nashua, Manchester, you know, in the cities, uh, that is the reality. It is shoutyourabortion.com. That's the reality we're in. The rivals of God are pushing this new reality. The question for you and I today, friends, is will we take the necessary risks to be a part of God's solution? God has the solution. We've got to take a risk. Go back to Joseph, back in Genesis. God had a solution. Did Joseph take the risk to share with Pharaoh, I know who can solve your problem. I know who has an answer to your dreams. It's God. Joseph took that risk. Will you and I take the same risk, the same kind of risk, to see God's solution brought forth in this very area? That's the question today. Let's look to the scripture again. And we'll finish the chapter. <clears throat> then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, aha, of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Interesting. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, this is in verse 19, and we'll finish the chapter, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively, they give birth before the midwives even come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, God dealt well with the midwives. They were fearing God first. And the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because of the midwives who feared God that he provided households for them. Isn't that great? The midwives 
They got their own children out of this because they were fearing God. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Here's the risk. We've got heroes who've gone before us. Even as early in the biblical narrative as Exodus, we've got people like Shifra and Pua. God is so sovereign, and so much of naming in his scriptures has powerful meaning. That is certainly not the exception with these two midwives. Isn't it interesting that um, there are all sorts of people that God leaves out of the narrative in terms of we don't know their names, but then we have two Hebrew midwives out of a ginormous nation that God saw fit to put in his scripture to remember them by name. What do these names mean, I wonder? Shifra means fair. It means bright. It means beautiful. It means splendid like a constellation. So the, the roots of this Hebrew word are like the, the brilliance of a constellation in the sky at night. Similarly, pua means splendid. It means to glitter. It means brilliance. I love this because as I indicated a moment ago, when I think of those who work at options right here in Rochester, day in and day out or weekly, they are doing every marketing trick they know how to. You know, they are on social media. They're trying to get women, young women who are afraid and scared to just get in there. They love them like nobody's business and they want to get them to see that ultrasound because the stats are unbelievable that once that female sees the life in her womb, she will keep that child. They are not flush with cash, but they keep at it. And God is so good because miraculously he'll provide the 4D uh, ultrasound machine. You know, And there's over a dozen pregnancy resource centers like Options right here in Rochester where they are not-for-profit, trying to get the right equipment day in and day out. And of course, they deal yearly with X number of women who don't change their mind because of the ultrasound, who terminate that child. Can you imagine, and I don't know, are, do we have people here who volunteer or work with options in this congregation? If so, yeah, boldly say so. But imagine for the woman who is coming alongside, I mean the volunteer at options who's coming alongside a young woman, prays with her, gets her trust, you know, has a relationship built over several weeks only to learn that, oops, at one moment of fear, uh, this young woman decided to terminate her child. It's so tough. But we have Shifras, we have Puas right here at Options and in the other pregnancy resource centers. <clears throat> Sidewalk counselors, you know, they tend to be, the, I once, <clears throat> uh, about a few years ago, I wanted to watch the sidewalk counselors. They typically, it's more Catholics tend to do this, but I wanted to see because we had a sidewalk bill that we were dealing with, meaning, um, you know, there's a demarcation outside the abortion clinics here in the state where, um, you know, we're not supposed to cross those, but, but that law that upholds that actually has been uh, tossed out federally. So we're kind of looking for opportunities where you could toss down that law. But, you know, none of us wants a contentious situation when you're trying to coach a woman who's about to walk in to get an abortion. So I watched, I, I, I took time to watch what these sidewalk counselors do. And I mean, it couldn't have been more beautiful it reminded me of Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim 
salvation. It reminded me of Philippians 2, much like the names of Shifra and Pua, how we are, we are the children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, and we shine like stars in the universe. Watching these sidewalk counselors do their work, in a span of just 45 minutes outside of Manchester's Planned Parenthood, I watched five cars come. And women who had in their car other children, they left their children in the car so they could go and terminate the pregnancy that was in there. Tough stuff. And please, I hope, as you're getting to know me, I hope, I hope you hear my heart, which is if anyone in this room is post-abortive, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Jesus forgives, he heals, he deletes our shame, he cleanses us. And if you're a man and you're post-abortive because you pressured a girlfriend or your own spouse uh, to get an abortion, it, there's not condemnation for you here. You know, this, this is the hope of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ is always healing, delivering, forgiving. But I say this because I just observed this, and all of a sudden my view of these sidewalk counselors just went up a hundred notches because they're in the cold often. You know, one day a week is the day that the abortions are done at the Manchester Planned Parenthood. And they're there lovingly saying, may I speak with you for a moment? You know, can we discuss this? Do you know there's other options for you? And just, you know, they're not antagonistic. They're the opposite. But as we notice in the narrative, Shifra and Pua, they disobeyed Pharaoh. They disobeyed Pharaoh because they feared God. And so people of God, they took a risk. They took a risk because life was more valuable, because they feared God more. And I would suggest to us today that God is looking for his people to be the midwives in a culture that's gone crazy. Pharaoh went crazy, so let's kill half the Hebrew guys. Our culture's gone crazy, saying shoutyourabortion.com. Just do it. Make your life easy. Women, don't throw away your life. You know, don't get bogged down with a child. Pua and Shifra, they took the risk going against Pharaoh to save life. People of God, will we take the same kind of risk? Will we take the same kind of risk? Will, be, will we be as shrewd and as clever as Shifra and Pua? And I look at the pregnancy resource centers, and I think they're so shrewd, they're so clever. As I mentioned, they're, they're figuring out how to market to, the, to their market. You know, their, their target is the young, you know, 15 to 25-year-olds who find themselves with an unwanted pregnancy. They're being very shrewd about how they do it. You know, I, I wouldn't suggest that Community Baptists start to advertise on TikTok, but, you know, the, the crisis pregnancy centers do because that's where these women are, potentially. I don't know that as a fact, but they're being very shrewd, very clever. In this 21st century reality, the reality of chemical abortions, <clears throat> God's inviting us to take risks with him to see his rivals defeated. Remember, just remember, it's not just us against them. It can feel that way when I'm, you know, when I'm sitting in, in our House of Representatives. It feels like us against them. But remember, it's God. God's going to defeat his rivals. Will we take the risk to see that done? And I want to suggest a few things, a few practicals before we close today. What kind of risks can you take? As I indicated in my brief introduction earlier, please go to nhcornerstone.org, scroll to the bottom, sign up for our family update, <clears throat> because every week, <clears throat> excuse me, and it is coming fast and furious, but we tell you exactly what to do. You know, write your rep. 
Call this senator. We tell you exactly what to do. Take the risk. If you've never written to your state rep, if you've never called your state rep before, just take the risk and do it. Honestly, it's a very low risk. Um, when I call my own state reps, we have three in Hollis. They're all Ds. You know, they're all, they're pretty progressive. You know, one time out of two, 50% of the time, they pick up. Otherwise, I leave a voicemail. We are never on the same side of the issue except for some conservation type issues in Hollis. Which actually felt good to have something in common for a moment. Just to have a relationship. You know, I'm a pastor, so I like to have a relationship with people. I don't like it when we're at odds with each other, but even I've never had an uncivil conversation with my state reps. Hey, I'm Neil. I live on this road in Hollis. I'd ask you to vote this way on HB 533 because I believe life is precious. Well, I don't agree with you, but th you know, thanks for calling. That's the kind of conversations we have. So take that risk. Uh, talk to your reps. <clears throat> Another risk you can take is you can give time, talent, and treasure to your local PRC, <clears throat> Pregnancy Resource Center. You, you have an outstanding one in Rochester. Options is just really one of the best uh, because it's so well run. Their senior leadership there is outstanding. So please get to know them. And again, Pastor Chris, I think you guys have a relationship with them, it sounds like. Awesome. <clears throat> And then the other way, I'm really sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the other way you can take a risk is, this is way bigger. Those are kind of low cost options I just shared, a high cost option, but so many churches in New Hampshire are, are, are uh, signing up here is, have you ever thought about adoption and foster care? Okay, I had a great relationship with our most recently outgoing director of children, youth and family. So DCYF is a division under our DHHS. Um, his name was Joe Ribsom. I remember sitting across from the lunch table, breakfast, sorry, with him at Tucker's in Concord saying, you know, Commissioner Ribsom, or sorry, he wasn't commissioner, he was um, director. So, uh, Mr. Ribsom, what keeps you up at night? And he said, you know what keeps me up at night is, it's not the babies. Babies, they will get adopted. They'll find foster homes. But we've got about 75 kids in the care of the state of New Hampshire. They're in facilities. And guess what? You know, they are behaviorally challenged. They're in their teens. They're not likely to get adopted. Guess what department they're probably going to end up when they age out of mind? DOC, Department of Corrections. So that kept them up at night. I'm just saying, is God calling you to be a part of adoption foster care here in New Hampshire? We have some great friends in that system. I can tell you there are some great followers of Jesus in that system. Um, I can tell you that compared to other states around us that are getting quite hostile to people of faith, that is not the case in New Hampshire. We still have a chance with our adoption and foster care system in New Hampshire. There is a forum coming up, and I'll pass along. There's a forum for, if, if God's speaking to you in that domain, then there'll be a forum coming up here, I believe, in February, where uh, DCYF Children, Youth, and Families is going to share. That would be at great cost to you. I'm not going to lie. You know, my wife and I talk about it, and you saw our family. I, sometimes we just, it's not something we're hearing God's call at this moment, but we always want to be open. So those are the ways, those are the risks you can take. Take the risk, write your legislator. Legislator, Take a risk, give time, talent, treasure to options. Take a risk, ask God, would he have you do adoption and foster care? These are the risks we can take. In this new reality, God is working to defeat his rivals. Will we risk co-laboring with him like Shifra and Pua? Pastor Chris, if it's appropriate, I'd love to pray for the congregation and then... I'll let you close out the service as you normally do. <clears throat> Thank you so much for your time. It's just great to be with you. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we recognize that your rivals are at work in ways that we really couldn't have imagined, not just in this area of culture, but so many of the other areas of culture that are just topsy-turvy. They are upside down. Isaiah prophesied that there would be a time where we call good evil and evil good. We are certainly in that moment now. But God, you are not taken by surprise. You're looking for people like Shifra and Pua who will take the risk so that you can defeat your rivals, God. I pray that in the people of Community Baptist, you'd find Shifras and Puas, people who would give their time, talent, and treasure, take risks that they've never taken before so that, God, you can defeat your rivals in this present reality. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, and our Savior. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Neil. I, I want to take just a moment and... Uh, if, uh, if we can end the live stream just so that I can speak a little more freely. No, there's nothing bad that's about to happen. But I, I want you to understand this. What we've heard this morning is a wonderful presentation that challenges 